You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a cycle of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Effects of Esoteric Development. This is the last lecture in the series. Uh, it's a lecture 10 entitled The Etheric Body as a Picture of Cosmic History, given on March 29, 1913. We have seen that the four main members of the human being go through changes during serious esoteric or occult development. I emphasized especially the inner transformation of these four members of human nature, the transformation experienced inwardly. In other words, we must distinguish clearly between the transformation we experience inwardly and its manifestation, which is outwardly visible to clairvoyant vision, and this is, of course, something different. In true esoteric development, it is important to first know what occurs within our inner life as human beings and what awaits us when we take up esoteric development. The transformation that is outwardly visible to a clairvoyant is also interesting, though perhaps not so important. In a nutshell, those who are developing esoterically perceive inner changes as increasing mobility and independence of the various parts of the body. To clairvoyant vision, however, which does not experience the physical body's changes inwardly, but views them outwardly, it is as though the physical body of one who is developing esoterically were divided, or disjointed, so to speak. And because of this dissociation, it gives the impression of disintegration. The physical body of those progressing in occult development appears to the clairvoyant eye as if growing, When we meet people who are truly developing occultly, through clairvoyant vision we notice that their physical body has a particular dimension. When meeting such people again years later, we see that their physical bodies have grown or become perceptibly larger. Thus there is a growth in the physical body in esoteric development beyond normal physical size, whereas the physical body becomes at the same time less distinct. In other words, one who continues to develop esoterically manifests a continually expanding physical body consisting of separate members and eliciting what are ordinarily called imaginations. The physical body of such a person increasingly appears as an aggregate of imaginations, inner pictures that are alive and active in a sense, and becoming more and more interesting since they are not just any pictures. When such people are in the early stage of occult development, the pictures are not especially significant, and of course when clairvoyant vision observes the body of one who has not yet developed esoterically, the pictures are even less significant. In those who have not developed esoterically, we perceive at first a number of pictures or imaginations. Remember, to clairvoyant vision, the physical substance disappears and is replaced by imaginations. Among ordinary people, however, such imaginations are compressed 
to the point that instead of showing the pleasing and inwardly radiant aspect of one pursuing occult development, they appear opaque. Even in one who is not yet developed esoterically, however, the members can be seen, and each is related to something in the macrocosm. Essentially, one can distinguish twelve parts of the human being, each of which is really a picture of a part of the cosmos. When all twelve members are united, we give the impression that some unknown artist has painted twelve miniatures of the macrocosm and has formed the physical human body from these. When a person is developing esoterically, this picture increases in size, becoming more luminous, and at the same time inwardly more friendly and pleasing. This is because, for someone not engaged in occult development, the macrocosm is reflected only in the physical aspect, whereas in those who are training spiritually, the pictures also reveal more and more their spiritual substance, since they portray the spiritual beings of the macrocosm. Thus occult development also demonstrates that the person pursuing esoteric development goes from a strictly physical microcosm to a more and more spiritual microcosm. That is, the individual increasingly reflects the pictures of not just planets and suns, but also beings of the higher hierarchies. This is the difference between those engaged in occult training and those who are not. As one advances in occult development, the higher hierarchies are revealed more and more. In this way we can come to know the structure of the cosmos by clairvoyantly observing the human physical body. The etheric body of a person not engaged in esoteric training shows the Earth's process of formation over time. It shows how planets and suns, human civilizations on Earth, or individual human beings during their incarnations are transformed, and how they appear in the subsequent stages of their development. The etheric body tells the story of the Earth's formation. Whereas the physical body of a human being resembles a collection of pictures painted by an unknown hand, the etheric body assumes the role of a storyteller, one who recounts the inner events of cosmic history. As a person pursues occult development, a person's insights reach farther back in time. The etheric body of someone who has made relatively little progress in occult development appears to clairvoyant vision as the physical inheritance of perhaps only a few earlier generations, such as the extent of development shown in that person's etheric body. But as a person advances in occult development, the possibility increases of seeing the record of civilizations and the particular incarnations of various individuals in the individual etheric body, in the individual's etheric body. Indeed, it becomes more possible to reach back to cosmic beginnings and to comprehend the role of the spirits of the higher hierarchies during its coming into being. <clears throat> to ordinary observation, the astral body may be perceived only as a kind of reflection or through experiences of thinking, willing, and feeling. The astral body, however, will express what is increasingly important for the human entity as a being of the cosmos. I want to stress the importance of this. The astral body of someone developing esoterically 
expresses more and more the value of the human being in the cosmos. In an earlier lecture, I described how we arrive at the knowledge that the astral body in its original nature is a kind of egoist, that such egoism must be overcome in occult development through transforming personal interests into universal interests. If we look at the astral body of one engaged in higher development, we see, according to its dark and opaque, or its inwardly clear and luminous quality, and according to its shrill dissonances or pleasing harmonies, whether such a person is still attached to personal interests, as mentioned, or truly embraces cosmic interests. If someone doing inner work and whose development has followed a strictly correct moral course, the astral body reveals how noble human beings become when the horizon of their interests extends from the personal to those that are universal and human and to universal cosmic intent. The astral becomes more and more radiant and luminous when human beings learn to make general human and cosmic affairs their personal concern. As we develop farther, the I shows, capital I, shows an increasing tendency to separate or become dissociated. It directs its consciousness outward, which is diffused into the cosmos. If, for example, we want to become acquainted with the being of the angelic hierarchy, ordinary forces of cognition will not be enough. If we really wish to know such a being, we must be able to transfer our consciousness that is, separate the forces of the I and transfer a part of I consciousness to the angelic being. Whenever we want to know a being, we can do so only by transferring our I consciousness to that being. The I feels the impulse to go beyond itself, to transfer itself to the other being, and to allow what lived before only in the I to now live in the other being. At a lower stage of development, the level of ordinary existence, this impulse manifests as a desire to be released from waking consciousness as the need for sleep. What urges us out of the soul toward sleep is the same impulse that in higher development directs our consciousness into the consciousness of the angeloi, or spirits of form, or into the consciousness of even higher hierarchies, rather than into the unconscious realm of sleep. From this perspective, then, we may ask the unconventional question, what does it mean to speak of coming to know one of the Elohim? It means being developed enough to enter while asleep into the consciousness of the Elohim and to awaken in the Elohim with awareness of the spirit of form or spirit of the higher hierarchies. To know a higher being means to surrender one's consciousness as in sleep, but in such a way that because of the higher forces awakened in us, consciousness reawakens and radiates toward us as that of the higher being. Thus in true occult development the astral body resembles a sun radiating cosmic interests. The eye that reaches a higher level of development, on the other hand, resembles the planets that revolve around the sun of the astral body. Planets that on their paths through the cosmos meet other beings and bring tidings of those other beings to the human being in search of knowledge. The eye and astral body of someone doing inner work actually present a picture of a sun 
which is the astral body surrounded by planets, which are the self multiplied and directed out into other beings, so that through what is reflected back to us by the multiplied selves from these other entities, we may know their nature. While we are aware of the inner nature of these members of the higher hierarchies, we come to recognize them externally through the physical and etheric bodies, and we come to recognize them inwardly through the astral body and the self. That is, we touch with these beings of the higher hierarchies through these bodies. When we have become aware of these beings, we feel as if we had to make our astral body into a sun and thus detach from ourselves a part of the self with the capacity to penetrate the hierarchy of the angels, another portion of the self that can penetrate the hierarchy of the archangels, another into the hierarchy of the spirits of form, a fourth into the hierarchy of the spirits of movement, a fifth into the hierarchy of the spirits of wisdom and will, a sixth self into the hierarchy of the cherubim, and a seventh into that of the seraphim. After we have developed the four members of our being to a higher stage, we may have the experience just described. We can do this. It is possible, however. In addition to the development of the eye, as just indicated, we may reach a still higher development of the eye. In this case, the eighth self, which remains behind, develops even higher because of having severed seven aspects from itself. To understand this, let's consider the process as follows. We have the original I, with which we are endowed prior to occult development. As we develop esoterically, we may thus send seven I-beings out of the I. Because the original I has sent out and was able to send out seven I-beings, we have had to use an inner force. As a result, the I has risen one stage higher. Here I ask you to keep in mind that the process, described in a somewhat exaggerated way, actually occurs very gradually. Naturally, when we develop esoterically, we do not immediately become a perfect sun surrounded by the I-planets in our astral body. At first, we attain only an imperfect sun state with imperfect manifestations of its planetary selves. This is a gradual process. Likewise, the development of the ordinary eye into the higher eye occurs slowly and gradually. But when this development has reached a certain stage, that is, as the eye actually reaches higher and higher, it gradually becomes possible to see back to former incarnations. This is the point where the eye rises beyond itself, when the self overcomes itself thanks to the forces that enabled it to understand the higher hierarchies. On the basis of clairvoyant vision, then, we may say that because of occult development we become star-like or like a solar system relative to the eye and astral body. Whereas previous lectures described inner experiences, I have now more or less described what is revealed to outer clairvoyance, the perception of one who is becoming clairvoyant. However, I want to add something important in order to amplify something already indicated. When we have developed the astral body and eye, we are able to perceive, as you know, a world that was previously empty, 
but is now filled with the beings of the higher hierarchies, angels, archangels, archai, and so on. You may ask, do the kingdoms of nature also change? Yes, in fact they change considerably. As you will recall, I said that the physical body of the ordinary person appears to the clairvoyant as an assemblage of pictures that become inwardly more and more luminous as that person progresses. What is the situation then regarding animals? To clairvoyant vision, the physical body of the animals also becomes transformed into imaginations. Thus, we know that these animals are not what they appear to be in the world of maya or illusion. Animals are imaginations, that is, they are imaginations seen by human consciousness, which then apprehends the animals as imaginations. Who evokes these imaginations? Animals and plants, though plants less than animals and minerals least of all, are, at least in their external forms, imaginations connected with Araman. Physicists try to discover physical laws in the external kingdoms of nature. The occultist realizes more and more that the external kingdoms of nature, insofar as they appear as material entities, are imaginations of Araman. We know that group souls are behind the animals. Group souls are not Araman's imaginations, as are the individual animals in their external forms. The group soul of the lion species, for example, belongs to the good spiritual beings, so to speak. And in Araman's war against these spiritual beings, he compresses the group soul into the individual animal forms and imprints them with his own imaginations. Individual lions that exist on earth are projected from the group soul by Araman. Thus the environment is also in process of gradual transformation into something completely different from its appearance in the world of Maya. To give you a guide to the thoughts to which this lecture cycle has introduced us, I will draw you a diagram. And there's a picture. First, let me indicate on the left what we may call the structure of the ordinary human constitution, the physical, etheric, and astral bodies, the sentient, intellectual, or mind, and consciousness souls, the spirit self, the life spirit, and the spirit body. This constitutes the human being. I will represent it with a vertical broken line. Soul life includes the sentient soul, the intellectual soul, the consciousness soul, then the spirit self. Since we do not need to consider them today, we will assume the, we will assume the higher members. The constitution of the human being manifests externally in such a way that the bodily element is experienced in the three lower members, whereas the soul element occupies the three middle members. The spirit self is present in the human being only as an indication of the future. When a person develops spiritually, initially it is important to suppress certain things in the soul itself. We have seen that it is especially important for the individual to exclude outer sense impressions, that is, the first requirement of true esoteric progress. By excluding outer sense impressions, the soul principle developed mainly through the influence of such impressions, that is, the consciousness soul, is inwardly transformed. Remember that because it relies primarily on external sense impressions, the consciousness soul has reached its maximum development at the present time. 
One must not confuse the fact that the consciousness soul is inwardly fortified to a large extent by the impressions received through the senses with the fact that these sense impressions are mediated by the sentient soul. In esoteric development we must consider which influences most strengthen the consciousness soul and we discover that these are outer sense impressions. When they can be excluded, the consciousness soul can be suppressed. In the person developing esoterically, therefore, it is the consciousness soul above all that must withdraw into the background. I have indicated on the right what corresponds to the separate members of the soul in the person who is developing spiritually. I am referring to what in ordinary life gets us to emphasize or affirm the I in every domain possible. In the present epoch, of course, the I asserts itself in the domain of thought. We hear such things as, quote, this is my point of view, close quote, or, quote, this is what I think, close quote, as though it mattered what this or that person thinks, as if it were not much more important to discover the truth. No matter what a person may think, it is a proven fact that the sum of the three angles of any triangle is 180 degrees. Counting upward from the human being, the hierarchies fall into three groups of three, where any individual viewpoint is immaterial. Such self-affirmation withdraws into the background and in its place the consciousness soul, whose who original and principal purpose had been to cultivate the I, is gradually filled with what we call imagination. Thus we can say that in the person who is developing spiritually, the consciousness soul is being changed into the imagination soul. We know from what was mentioned in earlier lectures that we must also transform thinking itself, which is developed primarily in the intellectual or mind soul. We were told that thinking must stop developing its own thoughts, that the human personality must suppress thinking that stems from the self. When we succeed in suppressing the experiences of the intellectual soul in ordinary life, then normal thinking, good sense and ordinary affective life on the physical plane are replaced with inspiration. The intellectual soul is thus transformed into the inspiration soul. The inspired works of culture have been inspired into or breathed into the transformed intellectual soul. When we overcome the astral body by making cosmic interests our own, and overcoming personal feelings more and more, it is most of all the sentient soul that is gradually set aside. Thereby the sentient soul is transformed. All the inner impulses, passions and emotions are changed into intuitions. And in place of the sentient soul, the intuition soul appears. The person who is developed spiritually is shown on the right in this diagram. We can say that this individual has the astral, etheric and physical bodies just as the ordinary person does, but inwardly also has the intuition soul, the inspiration soul, and the imagination soul, and then passes into spirit self. You will gather from this diagram, giving facts of occult observation, as well as from these lectures, that the degree of our moral development influences our occult development. While we are still victims of personal emotions and passions, acting under the influence, one might say, of human instincts 
and as long as we do not moderate our instincts at the dictate of reason or through the development of our consciousness, we continue to live entirely in the sentient soul. If I indicate moral development by the little arrow in the middle, then development has reached only as far as the sentient soul. It may happen, therefore, that individuals may have developed only as far as the sentient soul. That is, they are dominated entirely by their appetites and impulses. Let's suppose that the progress of such an individual has been accelerated by occult development. The consequence would be the transformation of the sentient soul into the intuition soul and the experience of certain intuitions. Such intuitions, however, would simply be the rearrangement rather than transformation of that individual's impulses, appetites and instincts. Those who, in terms of moral development, have arrived at the intellectual soul or who have acquired distinct universal ideas and whose minds embrace common universal interests of the cosmos will at least transform their intellectual soul into the inspiration soul. They gain the ability to arrive at certain inspirations, even though clairvoyant vision is still somewhat clouded. The consciousness soul can be changed into the imagination soul only when it has been penetrated with the eye. The rest will follow as a matter of course, because the other stages will already have been passed through. Thus, the purpose of clairvoyant that is appropriate to our time must be to place before human beings the task of cultivating moral development so that they rid themselves of all impulses and desires of a personal nature and rise to a level where personal interests become universal interests. They must then try to really understand themselves as an I, but as an I in the consciousness soul. When this is accomplished, the sentient soul, the intellectual soul, and the consciousness soul can safely be transformed into the intuition soul, the inspiration soul, and the imagination soul. When we observe ordinary consciousness on the physical plane, we find that the sentient soul is the richest soul. Though this soul be considered very low, we can see just how many instincts and impulses are concealed within it. Is it incapable of any impulses and desires? Is it incapable of any impulses and desires? The substance of the intellectual soul is poorer in emotional response, but poorest of all, in this sense, is the consciousness soul, which is limited to the awareness of the I. It is reduced to a point, so to speak. We could say that the figure representing the human soul in its natural condition on the physical plane would be a pyramid, its base represents the sum total of impulses, desires, and passions, and the apex represents the point of consciousness. <laughs> An inverted pyramid shows the developed soul of the true clairvoyant. Here, whereas the base represents what we may form as all kinds of imaginations that express the substance of the cosmos, the inverted apex represents the higher individual consciousness of the human being. In another sense, this diagram serves to a certain extent as a yardstick. In the new edition of my book titled Theosophy, I indicated that the sentient soul is the provisionally transformed astral body, as it were. We can therefore say that below is the physical body, then the etheric body, then the astral body. The provisionally transformed astral body is the sentient soul on the physical plane. 
The provisionally transformed etheric body is the intellectual soul or mind soul, and the provisionally transformed physical body is the consciousness soul. In our present human cycle, the consciousness soul is first localized in the physical body, that is to say it uses the physical organs. The intellectual soul is located in the etheric body, which means that it uses etheric movements. The sentient soul, which contains impulses, desires and passions, uses the forces localized in the astral body. The intellectual soul, which contains the inner feeling forces of sympathy or compassion, uses the etheric body. And the consciousness soul uses the physical brain. Moreover, when the sentient soul is changed into the intuition soul, you must imagine that in a kind of correspondence the human astral body becomes the instrument of the intuition soul. The inspiration soul is the transformed intellectual soul. Its instrument is the human etheric body. The imagination soul or transformed consciousness soul uses the human physical body as its instrument. Now, compare the scheme shown here with what I said earlier and you will realize that this scheme is a memory image. I said in effect that clairvoyant vision sees the physical body as transformed into imaginations, which are pictures of the macrocosm. In the diagram the imagination soul fills the physical body, it actually enters the physical body and permeates it. Thus clairvoyant consciousness, when it meets a developed human being, sees the members of the physical body as permeated with higher and higher imaginations, impressed into the physical body by the inner being of this individual. In an ordinary person, a number of imaginations may be found imprinted into the members of the physical body by higher spiritual beings. But in more highly developed individuals, other imaginations are added to the already existing imaginations, and these are imprinted into the members of the body from the individual's own inner being. Therefore the organs of the physical body of a person who has developed spiritually become progressively richer. In this description I wanted to briefly give a summary of what I described more fully elsewhere in these lectures. I want to point especially to the fact that thanks to this description you will always be able to remember that the sentient soul, the intellectual soul and the consciousness soul are transformed so that the consciousness soul does not become the intuition soul but rather the imagination soul and the sentient soul does not become the imagination soul but rather the intuition soul. Thus we have a sketch of what I wanted to say on the subject in these lectures, that is, the transformations of the human sheaths and human eye during serious spiritual development or in the course of esoteric occult training, which is basically the same thing. We began, as you may realize, with the slight, almost imperceptible changes in the physical body, scarcely perceivable modifications at the beginning of esoteric work. The individual members of the physical body become inwardly more and more alive, whereas ordinarily only the entire physical body of the human being appears as a living entity. We then saw that certain changes occur and reveal important aspects of the inner life, changes in the eye and astral body that evoke the powerful imaginations 
through which we may experience ourselves seemingly reverted to the beginning of earthly development and even further back. Imaginations that lead to the paradise imagination and to the Cain and Abel imagination. We saw in fact that a kind of force becomes a reality in the physical body and enables it to subdivide, so to speak, and yet remain whole. In our present human cycle, it does not yield to this tendency to divide because esoteric training is not allowed to go far enough to injure the physical body. There is, however, an intensity of occult development that may lead to the stimulation of inner destructive forces in the physical and etheric bodies. There is always this danger when someone meets the guardian of the threshold. Such a meeting is impossible without the risk of destructive forces being implanted in the physical and etheric bodies. Therefore, every genuine esoteric development also provides the necessary remedies, which are the six supplemental esoteric exercises described in my outline of esoteric science. First, concentration or control of thought. Control of one's thoughts is the disciplined organization of thinking. Second, development of a certain initiative of will or control of will. Third, equanimity when confronted with joy and sorrow. Fourth, a positive approach in attitude toward the world. Fifth, open-mindedness and objectivity. Sixth, harmony and synthesis of the first five qualities. When we cultivate these qualities in our soul, along with esoteric training, a certain a sincere effort develops on the part of the physical and etheric bodies toward separation, that is, real efforts toward assimilating the seeds of death. However, when we have developed the qualities mentioned enough to equal the force of that tendency, or if we have pursued a moral development sufficient in weight to, to these six qualities, the urge to separate is lifted and never put into effect. I have tried to give you more than a mere description of occult development. I have tried rather to awaken in your hearts a feeling of what occult esoteric development is. And I have tried to show you the many and various ways that it influences and transforms a human being. You must have been able to sense and recognize that when we pursue occult development we are faced with many shattering experiences and much that is dangerous. You must always keep in mind, however, along with many things in this theoretical exposition that may have awakened a certain dread in you, a thought that dispels all fear and banishes any fear of danger and evokes instead enthusiasm and strength of will in our souls. This is the thought that by developing ourselves further we actively contribute, though in small measure, to the evolution willed by the gods. If we can understand the full significance of this thought and fully comprehend the enthusiasm it inspires, then we comprehend it in the way that presents evolution, esoteric development, in the most beautiful sense as the duty of human beings. One who can experience this already feels, despite all the dangers, struggles, confusion and obstacles, the approach of the bliss of the spiritual realms. Once we experience this thought of the ideal, of occult development's power to kindle enthusiasm, we may begin to feel the bliss of realized progress. 
But this bliss means that we must recognize occult progress as a necessity. The future of spiritual esoteric movements such as ours will depend more and more on the realization that human spiritual development is necessary. Whoever rejects or is hostile towards spiritual development will thus will have thus identified with what is no longer useful on earth, with what has withered and shriveled and will have abandoned cosmic evolution as willed by the gods. The end of lecture 10, that is the end of the lecture cycle, The Effects of Esoteric Development by Rudolf Steiner.